0: Good, Mike. I like that. That's normal. Talking normal. That's good. Hey, uh, excited to be here with you guys tonight. I wanted to uh, add maybe a, another uh, announcement, something to get excited about uh, in the next month or so. Um, actually, this week comes out of, this thinking comes out of a, a meeting I had this week where I was had the opportunity to sit down with uh, one of the pastors at Northside, uh, Dan Stute. Many of you may know who he is. Northside Baptist is a Southern Baptist church up on 57. Had a great meeting with him, and he was uh, sharing with me something that uh, Pastor Aubrey had said uh, from the pulpit. He said, "If if you were to draw a uh, circle around Northside five mile uh, radius, you would hear You would you would see you'd, be, you'd interact with ninety thousand people that live in that area, ninety thousand people." And he went on to say that that uh, according to Dan anyway that that basically what we need to do is plant or at least have uh, uh, churches, another 80 to 90 churches the size of Northside, planted in order to reach and evangelize that place. I thought that was neat to hear, right? That they're recognizing that the 90,000 or the 80,000 people that we're taking responsibility for as well in this area need a repeated opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do. Right? We're not just here to simply plant a church, we're here to plant the gospel in this community. That's why we're here. And at the same time, we're excited about the idea of planting multiple churches, but the reality is, is that where we go, God goes with the gospel, right? We go with the gospel. And so imagine what Christ is doing by His Spirit, mobilizing all of His believers in this area toward that end. It's Pretty exciting. One of the main ways that we talk about that here at Renovation and also at Missio Church downtown is that we talk about uh, equipping all of our people to present the gospel to their spheres of influence. One of the ways that we talk about that in in the major program that that we have, equipping mechanism, is something that Jim Murphy's developed called the My Circle Train. Many of you have gone through that already. Uh, I'm excited to to let you know that toward the end of October, uh, during the middle of the week, the 23rd and the 30th and even into November, uh, we're going to take an intentional time to focus heart and soul on why we're here, and to equipping each and every one of us toward that end. And so Jim is going to come, he's going to teach us, Uh, we're hoping to have all of our missional communities and all of our people, even those who aren't connected, into a missional community to come together into a, a place still to be determined up here in these northern suburbs, and Jim is going to teach us and train us in the principles of my circle, really equipping us to be evangelists, to live on mission. You remember, our number one priority that we talked about last week at the family meeting was what? Evangelism. That's why we're here. And so out of that, what we're calling on each and every one of the people that are part of Renovation to be focused on is living on mission. We believe that evangelism will take place as you live on mission. And so Jim is going to come as, uh, as someone who God has gifted uh, in an extraordinary way to really equip and teach and train us in evangelism, he's going to come and do that. So look forward to that. The last two weeks of October, first week in November, where we are going to take a really intense, focused look at all of those things. So be ready for that. We'll be talking about it uh, over the next couple weeks as well. But try to mark that out. I know it for some of you it's out of the routine, it's out of the typical schedule, and I'm asking you to, to, to hang with me on that. And it may cause a little inconvenience or discomfort. Please you know, do all that you can to make yourself available for those. looks like it's going to be Wednesday evenings, uh, the 23rd and the 30th, and also the 6th as we do some follow-up. Okay, So be, uh, be looking forward to that. And remember, this is really our first priority. And, and again, it's because we believe that the Spirit of God is in you, and wherever you are going to go, God is going to go. And wherever you go, you bring the gospel with you. And so it's really rooted in all of that. So I'm excited about it, and uh, I trust you are as well. Well, I had one of those uh, moments this week where I got myself on the phone uh, with the IRS. Raise your hand if you've ever tried to call the IRS. Okay? Some of you, The grace of God is evident in many of your lives. You've not had to call the IRS. Well, I had to call the IRS. It has a lot to do with us incorporating and getting an employer EIN number and all that stuff. And so anyway, the first time I called, it was like two hours, and finally I gave up. The second time I called, one of my kids accidentally hung up the phone. Uh, and then another, it was a couple hours. And then finally, after two and a half hours of just deciding, I'm just going to leave this in my ear until they... right. But during the process, the whole way through, I'm thinking to myself... When are they ever going to pick up, right? I mean, come on. Like, talk about waiting and waiting and waiting. And you, no matter how many times you hear the lady, the auto voice say, we're sorry for the wait. It's only going to be a few more minutes. Please be patient with us. You're sitting there, you know, thinking to yourself, yeah, right. Like, this is, this is never going to happen, like, in your flesh, you know. And so you, you look at the situation that we find ourselves in here today in the book of Acts, And you recognize that the disciples had been waiting. The disciples had heard a promise from Jesus. And please, in no way, shape, or form do I want to insinuate that there is any connection between waiting for the IRS and waiting for Jesus. Nonetheless, in their flesh, in their doubting potentially, you begin to wonder if they're thinking to themselves as they hear the promise of Jesus, not too many days from now, you will receive the Holy Spirit, that in their flesh, they're thinking to themselves, when is this going to happen? And maybe we can identify with that a little bit here today because we're not that good at waiting, are we? When it comes to being waiters, we're haters, right? We're not big fans. Instantaneous society, we do not want to wait. And yet Jesus has said, not many days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so here we are, wondering how much longer will this promise ever come true? Let's take a look together at Acts 2. It's a long passage. Uh, somebody said this morning, you're gonna, or this evening, you're going to try to preach 41 verses. We're going to be there till midnight. I'm doing everything in my power to make sure that you'll be at work by tomorrow morning. I promise you. We'll do our best to not keep you uh, here all night. But let's take a look at chapter 2. I'm going to read all 41 verses. So let's dive in. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. "...Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, "...men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy... nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? save yourselves from this perverse generation crooked generation this version so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls amen long passage we're already in verse 40 moment let's let's truck our way back to verse 1 right As I begin to enter into this passage, uh, I kind of get the sense, and correct me if I'm wrong, I kind of get the sense that we're in this waiting period. It's kind of a quiet atmosphere. Now, we've already said they're not being lazy. They're not just sitting around on the couch spiritually. They are actively pursuing the Lord in prayer. They're submitting their lives to Scripture, right? And they're um, making decisions in in submission to the sovereignty of God, preparing For the coming of the Spirit. Preparing for the moment where they would be able to go. But I get this sense that, you know, verse 1, the the day of Pentecost had arrived. That's 50 days after Passover. They were all together in one place. So there they are again. They're together in one place. And I just get this sense that there's a calm. there's There's a quietness. There's a preparedness. There's a readiness in them. And then out of nowhere, in the midst of that, something radical occurs. And I think it's an understatement to say that it's a multi-sensory experience coming from the heavens, breaking into human reality and time and space into this upper room where they are gathered. Something radical and multi-sensory occurs. Look at what happens. What's happening is something that they're hearing, right? This sound comes from heaven and it's like a mighty rushing wind, almost like a storm that has come in, and I remember a couple weeks ago we had quite a storm with a lot of rain and a lot of wind, and you heard that, this sound, this mighty rushing wind that came, but the text says that this mighty rushing wind was not just of the elements per se, weather, but it is something that has come from heaven, and so they're hearing it. And interacting with it, they're hearing it in their in their ears, and not only that, but they're seeing something. Right, this sound is filling the house where they're see, where they're where they're sitting, and they see divided tongues of fire, literally tongues, right, on fire. They come together, divide, and then they rest on each one of them. Now, did they feel that? Are they beginning to touch and interact with that? I don't know. If it's resting on them, I'm assuming that they're they're feeling it it's, it's it's god invading human space and they are interacting with it and it, and it is it's it's touching all of the senses text goes on to say that they were filled with the holy spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance right they're hearing this they're seeing this they're touching it but at the end of the day what we see here is that the promise that jesus has made is coming true The church is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said earlier that the Spirit was with them, and soon the Spirit would be what? In them. Right. So that's what's happening. The the church, gathered together, is now experiencing the power of God, the presence of God, not just around them, but now inside them. God is filling them. And the effect of this filling is that now they are beginning to speak in tongues. They're beginning to speak in other languages as the Spirit is giving them utterance. They don't know what they are saying per se. It's not like they're linguists here. This is something that the Spirit is doing inside of them. And friends, they are not the only ones that is interacting with this Phenomenon, right? As we turn the page, verse five, we see that there were other people around. Again, this is the feast of weeks. This is the day of Pentecost, where people from all over the place had traveled and come to celebrate the giving of the law at Sinai. Right? And so there are a lot of people who have come and traveled to this place, and they are not the only ones, the disciples anywhere, are not the only ones interacting with these sounds, with this event. God in his sovereignty is allowing others to interact with this phenomena. Others to hear something being said through these tongues being spoken. And what do they say? They're confused. They don't understand what's going on. Yet they're hearing very clear statements. They're hearing something. They're hearing something from people that they would not expect to hear it from. Look at what they say. These people had gathered from every nation. This sound uh, left them bewildered. They're each hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is this happening? We do not understand. From all these nations, we have come. But yet we're hearing these mighty works in our own language. How can this be? What is taking place? Please explain the reality. And what is the significance of this? Look at what they say. Verse 12. They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? And I think it's important for us to note that this, this speech that was coming out was not unintelligible speech, right? This is languages that represented the nations that were there. And so they were hearing. The mighty works of God. They were hearing the declaration of the glory of God through this in their own language. And they want to understand what it means. And quickly, from a human perspective, they do what we do best, right? They begin to define their own understanding of the situation, don't they? And the text says that they mock. They say they're filled with new wine, right? Right? They must be getting into the sauce, right? It's basically what they're saying. They're, they're, they're interacting with, uh, with wine. They're drunk. They've lost it, right? This is the explanation. This has got to be the only explanation for that, at least from a human perspective. But something much more significant is taking place, and that's exactly what we see Peter do. And you have to stop for a moment and recognize the change that's taken place in Peter already. Look at where Peter's come from, right? Jeremy, I think, talked about that the last couple weeks. Peter, once someone who is denying the Lord, is now transformed. Once someone who would not declare the truth is now transformed by the indwelling power of the Spirit, by his witness to the resurrection. And now, in this moment, we see the proclamation of the gospel. Let's let, take a look at what Peter goes on to say as he's explaining uh, this phenomenon. He says, guys, listen up. These guys have not been drinking. It's only the third hour. Now, the third hour is not 3 a.m. The third hour is 9 a.m. They had not been drinking. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. There's something else, something much more profoundly Significant that is taking place in all of these events that have that you have seen and heard. He goes on to talk about uh, the the day, um, the prophet Joel. Right, he's look at verse sixteen. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Right, that in these last days, God declares, "I will pour out my spirit on all flesh." Again, verse 18, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. What is happening in this moment is not a group of guys getting together and and having a little bit too much to drink. What is happening here is is that God has shown up, and he has filled his people, and the, the, the reason that they are hearing these words is because God is quickening them and inspiring them to prophesy, to declare the mighty works of God, right? And so what we see taking place here is that God has kept his promise to his people. The wait is over, friends. God said that he would send his spirit, right? Jeremiah, Ezekiel, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Joel chapter 2, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. God said that, And then Jesus says, not many days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so what we see taking place here in this moment is that God is keeping his promises as he fills his people with his Spirit. If God says he's going to do something, guess what? He's going to do it. His plans are not like our plans. His promises are not like our promises that are, I hope it works out, right? But when God says he's going to do something we can take confidence in the fact that he will indeed accomplish it and bring it to pass. And in this moment, we see that God is doing exactly what he promised, to fill his people with the power to bear witness to the resurrection. A new day has dawned, right? That's what the significance of this event. The coming of the Spirit is an ushering in of a whole new day, a day in which we still live in now, the last days. I hear it often, oh, we're in the last days. Friends, we've been in the last days from this moment until now and continue to be. These are indeed the last days, days in which God has poured out His Spirit on His people, inspired and empowered them for mission in the world to bear witness. These days are here. Now, we are indeed in the last days and these last days shall be until the last day, the day of the Lord. So we see that the day of the Lord is, is the day of final judgment where Jesus returns and he judges finally and forever. But now we live in the last days where the Spirit is poured out And I love it, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the day in which we live today. That anyone who is calling upon the name of the Lord, guess what? They shall be saved. This is the day of salvation, amen? This is the time in which God is pouring out His Spirit, bearing witness through His people, His sons and daughters that prophesy these are the days before the last day in which everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The bottom line is that God is keeping His promises by sending His Spirit to us. That's the significance of this event. So we see the effect, right? We interact with, with, the, with what we're hearing and seeing in the crowd. And we're wondering, what is the cause of this The cause is not a group of guys drinking a little bit too much too early in the morning. The cause is that this is God keeping every one of his promises by sending his spirit to indwell his people. That's what this is. That's the significance. And yet, friends, before we stop there and explain it with simply those terms, we have to see that there's another cause that's connected to it. And really what we see is that the coming of the Spirit is not only a cause for the speaking of the church in these terms, but is also an effect of some other cause that we cannot miss any way, shape, or form. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Peter's not done. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst, Friends, the coming of the Spirit is directly connected to Jesus, who he is and what he's accomplished in his death and resurrection. Friends, this day is no isolated day, the coming of the Spirit. It's no coincidence in any way, shape, or form. God is sovereign. He is working in the world. He is active. And all of what he has done and continues to do is tied to the person of Jesus, right? What he has done and what he has accomplished in his death and resurrection. The significance of the disciples speaking in tongues, declaring the mighty works of God for all nations to hear is directly tied to the person of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Look at this. Jesus was a man. He was a man that came into the world, born in human likeness, and he was attested to the world, right, through through his works, through his teaching, through all that he did. God worked through him. I love that, as you yourselves know. These people knew that. These people were aware. They interacted with the person of Jesus. Not only was he a man, but he was delivered up. Right? According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That Jesus, that man, guess what the world did in response to him? Guess what we did? We in the corporate sense, humanity, did in response to the coming of God in the world. We Killed him. Specifically, they killed him. They were there. But yet in a corporate sense, we enter into that. Our sin placed him there. And yet there was, again, something much more powerful at work that brought him to that cross, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Amen? God was working. Again, what is going on in this moment? It is nothing less than the activity of God in the world. And it's all tied to what God has done in Jesus Christ. Delivering him up. And I love what happens here. We see verse 24 that the ultimate end is that God has raised him up. That while we tried to kill him and put an end to him in our sin. And while Satan thought that he won the battle. Rome thought he was nothing, just kicked him to the curb. The Jews thought that they had won the battle. The reality is, is that God is victorious. He won the battle. God raised him from the dead, loosing him from the pangs of death. It was impossible for Jesus to be held by the power of death. God has fulfilled his plan to exalt his son over us. We see That he's been raised from the dead. But not only that, verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we were all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has now poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Friends, again, what we see taking place here is the church being filled with the Spirit and speaking the mighty works of God in all languages so that they might hear it? Yes, that is a fulfillment of the promise of Joel, fulfillment of, uh, of Ezekiel, that he would pour out his Spirit. But not only that, this is truly a result of the exaltation of Jesus. Not only has God kept his promise... By sending his spirit to us, God has kept his plan, fulfilled his plan to exalt Jesus over us. Jesus is exalted over us. It's who he is. He's the exalted one. He's at the right hand of God. So often my kids ask me the question, how come we don't see Jesus, Dad? Where is he? You're telling me to trust in Jesus. I want to see him. Where is he? And I say, guys, he's at the right hand of the Father. He's physically in heaven at the right hand of the Father, seated on the throne. And yet, he's not left us alone, right? He's, what, sent his spirit. Fulfillment of John 16, 9. Jesus said to his disciples, 16, 7, I'm sorry, Jesus said to his disciples, what? It's to your advantage that I go. Right? It's to your advantage. Because if I go, I'll send the advocate, the counselor, to you. So the, there's a direct connect between the sending of the Spirit and the exaltation of Jesus. And we can't miss that. Jesus has now been exalted to the right hand of the Father. And now he has poured out, verse 32, what we are seeing and hearing. So often, at the, as a church, we get caught up in the speaking in tongues, and we start to debate about this, that, and the other thing. The Charismatics and the Pentecostals and the Cessationists, they get all wrapped up in that. But friends, let's not get wrapped up there. Let's get wrapped up in what God is doing in the world because of the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus, to declare the gospel through his empowered people. That's what we see taking place here. He is at the right hand of God, verse 33, and he has received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, and he has now poured it out. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we're hearing. That's the ultimate cause of the effect that we see, right? And in conclusive fashion... Peter ends his sermon basically before he calls for response by saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. Look at that, certainty. We struggle to obtain certainty in this life, don't we? Especially in this postmodern society, to have certainty, to have assurance to have something that we can stake our life in the ground on and know for sure without a shadow of a doubt. I may not know X, Y, and Z, but this I can know for sure. Peter says, listen, friends. Know this with absolute certainty that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, what we are seeing and hearing in this moment means with absolute certainty that Jesus has been made by God the Father, Lord, and Christ. It's all in the titles, friends. To be Lord is to be, uh, is to be that, God, Lord, and that title is tied to Caesar in this day, right? In that day, the, the, the confession of the people is it Caesar is Lord? Only Caesar. No, we see that Caesar is not Lord. That Jesus is Lord. When we hear that Lord, we also think of the, uh, the Old Testament understanding of Yahweh. The identity of Yahweh. This is Jesus now. Jesus is Lord. He's the boss. He's in charge of everything for all time. God has made him such. So I don't know who you submit your life to, if you're even willing to do so. I don't know who governs you. I don't know what principles or words dictate you. I don't know what you're in submission to, but understand this, whether we're willing to submit to it or not, this is something that you need to grapple with with certainty, that God has made Jesus Lord and Christ. And that word Christ is that expectation of the long-awaited, holy, and anointed king that God said he would send through the line of David. This is Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. The one that we have made nothing, God has made everything. you got to see that. Jesus is everything. In our world, Jesus has been minimized to simply a good teacher, a legend, maybe one of the gods out there at the buffet of the religious pluralism. Take your pick. Sure, you like Jesus? Great. But friends, Jesus is nothing less than Lord, God. King, this Jesus whom you crucified. Imagine hearing those words. The one that you killed, God has now made king. Jesus, the one that you was attested to you by all of his ministry, by all of his works, by all of his signs, by his authority and his teaching, that Jesus who you yourselves know, that Jesus whom you killed, God has made Lord in Christ. Imagine grappling with that reality for just a few moments. Imagine wrestling with the guilt and the condemnation and the fear that would come with that. Because the text goes on to say that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Friends, when we come to the recognition that our sin killed Jesus, that our rebellion and our idolatry would have chosen anything but him, when we come to that recognition, we have to respond, don't we? That's not a reality or an issue to be ignored, minimized. Or, or or cut, you know, thrown to the side, or maybe tabled for another day, when we come to the realization that our sin had placed Jesus on the cross and killed the author of life, when we come to that recognition, man, we've got to do something about it now, don't we? We've got to respond to this. This is no small matter, is it? Non response is a response. Let's be clear about that. To wait for a response is a response. The reality of the crucified Jesus, now made king, we have to respond to that now. And so they recognized that, cut to the heart, like pierced. Yikes. They asked the question, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do with the reality of our brokenness and our sin? What do we do with our guilt? And like so many of us, maybe they wondered, man, is there something we can do? Maybe, maybe Maybe I can work really hard and pay God back. Maybe God could, if I just say, "Hey, God, my bad, I missed that one." Maybe He'll just let it go. I think in in today's world, the idea of man, if we're just fifty-one forty-nine in our works and in our living before God, we're good. Fifty-one forty-nine. Hey, good person, nice guy. Gave a few bucks to to you know the Salvation Army. Always. Did his leftover clothes, threw it in the bin. Took care of neighbor's lawn a few times here and there. Nice guy. 51.49. Or maybe if I just try hard, really work at it, and give it my best shot, maybe I can make up for all of my wrongdoings. Friends, there's no hope there. Look at what Peter says. Peter said to them, Repent. That's it? I mean, not, that's, that's a heavy word. Please don't. But, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Are you interacting with the radical, beautiful nature of the grace of God yet in that call? How we respond, first of all, is we repent, which basically means turn, change, 180 degree redirection of your life. You are heading this way, walking down this path, and to repent is to decide to turn and face and walk in a completely new direction in keeping with all that God is in Jesus Christ. It's to turn. It's to change your mind about Jesus, right? That's that's what it is here. You thought Jesus was X, Y, and Z, but actually Jesus turned out to not be that. Jesus turned out to be God's Lord and King. And so you need to change your mind and your understanding about Jesus. And this moment is God's revealing himself to you through the church, through the proclamation of the gospel, to do just that. Change. Turn, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So, we're called to repent, and now we're called to be baptized. Baptized? Really? All that's getting at there is that is an invitation and a command to come and to be identified with Jesus in his death and resurrection. So these are not just simply historic events that took place, right? This is something that has personal application to every single one of us. Every single person that lives in in this area has application. Impact on their identity and their eternity. Union with Jesus in his death and resurrection. For the forgiveness of their sins, that's it. Repent. Change your mind. Stop running from him and run to him. And run into his arms in such a way that your whole identity is wrapped up in his death and resurrection. So that it's your death and your resurrection. For the forgiveness of your sins? You mean to tell me I can be forgiven? You mean to tell me that the God that in my sin and rebellion I said no. Get rid of him. Kill him. Crucify him. Crucify him, entering into the chants of the crowd. You mean to tell me that that God that I killed is inviting me into relationship with him and is willing to forgive me of everything? That God? Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what, that's what Peter's telling them. That's what Peter is telling each and every one of us, and that's what we empowered by the Spirit, are called to bring to this world, called to bring to our workplaces, in our homes, in our streets, to our neighbors, the crazy, astounding reality of the grace of God that does not make sense, that in dealing with our sin, we don't try to pay God back with religion, amen? What we do is we cry out to him for mercy, and he gives it to us in Jesus. He wants to forgive us. He wants to set us free, and ultimately he wants to give us his son's righteousness so that we're declared innocent before him. That's the gospel, friends. I've told a number of unbelievers that recently, and I'll tell you what. Every time, you know what they say to me? I've never heard that before. Never heard it. We assume they've heard it all before. We assume our neighbors have heard about Jesus that the gospel's old hat, old news. That's why they're, they're sick of it maybe. Maybe they've heard it all before. I've, I've got to come up with something new to say. <laughs> Bogus. Friends, more and more today you will find that as you declare the gospel of Jesus, that guess what? If they just turn from their sin and turn to God and cry out to be identified with him, For the forgiveness of their sins in baptism. That's it. They don't have to do anything. They have to trust in him. With all that they are. And rely on his death and resurrection. That's it. That's it. They'll say this. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before. The gospel is good news. Don't assume that it's old news. Please. People need to hear this. And when the spirit of God is working in the hearts of men and women, and you begin to share with your coworkers, neighbors, and friends, and say, hey, let me tell you about what God has done in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, and how you can be saved. Expect God, the Spirit, to prepare that moment, and expect them to say, guess what? They say, that makes a lot of sense to me. I've heard that. That makes sense. Friends, that doesn't make any sense from a human perspective, does it? But when the Spirit of God is working in the hearts of men and women, and we are offering salvation to them, guess what? It's going to make sense. And they're going to run into the arms of Jesus and receive forgiveness of their sins. That's what the gospel calls us to. That's what the gospel calls us to. And I love this. It says, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Look at that juxtaposition. Go back to verse 21. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're calling on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. But understand this, that the Lord is calling on you to call on him for salvation. God is calling upon you to call on him for salvation through Jesus Christ. Love that. Both and nature. We're calling on God. God's calling on us. This is what God is doing. We have to see that. It's not necessarily getting uh, fixated on the, the speaking in tongues part. God is doing so much more than providing some sort of phenomena for us to debate about. God is calling on people through the outpouring of the Spirit in His people who are proclaiming the gospel. God is calling on people to call on Him for salvation through Jesus Christ. What an awesome thing to know that we are in cooperation with divine activity, right? We're his instrument. How's God going to do it? He's going to do it through his gospel proclaiming people, his spirit indwelt people. That's exactly what we see taking place here. God is calling on us to call on him for salvation through Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you're one of those people. I know we don't have a huge crowd here tonight. But you know what, my prayer is that someone here tonight, regardless of the size of the crowd, had, has never heard the gospel, or maybe never understood it to that extent, or maybe never responded. Maybe they keep tabling that response. Maybe they keep saying to themselves, someday, but maybe today is that day. Maybe you hear and see, and you're interacting with what God is doing and pouring out His Spirit And how that is pointing to the true identity of Jesus. And you're saying, I want that. I want to be saved. I recognize my sin. I know how grotesque it is. Please save me. I turn from my sin. I run to Jesus. Let me be united with his death and resurrection. And may I receive his righteousness and be forgiven of every sin that I've ever committed. Don't leave tonight without full certainty that you are now in relationship with Almighty God through Jesus. And all your sins are forgiven. Maybe I'm just preaching to the choir here tonight. Whatever the case may be, bring that message to work with you. Bring that message home. Bring that message to your neighborhood. Because I'll tell you right now, more and more people are going to say, never heard that before. God is calling on me to call on him for salvation through Jesus Christ? Yeah, he is. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this wonderful passage. It's long. We've done our best to get our way through it. The reality is it's it's good. It's the birth of your church. You poured out your spirit. We declare you to be a faithful God. Someone recently asked me, in the last 10 years of ministry, what's one thing that God has taught you? And God, without any hesitation, I said that God is faithful. God, you are indeed faithful. You made promises and you kept them, you made plans and you fulfilled them, all in the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we declare as well that not only are you faithful, but that you are gracious. Yes, people like us have been called into relationship with Almighty God, even ones who put him on a cross. We thank you, Lord, for that gift. And if there's anyone here tonight that wants to know Jesus for the first time, I pray that they would respond with repentance and faith and seek to be united with him.